Chapter 40 In the Grove of Krishna After that first evening, I neglected no opportunity to visit the Krishna grove and to become more deeply immersed in the teachings through the words of the Master or one of his great disciples. During the absence of my husband, the fear of the citizens of Kosambi grew from day to day because of the robber Angulimala. Fantasy was stirred for the very reason that nothing was heard of fresh deeds of his. A rumour was spread that Angulimala intended to fall upon the Krishna grove one evening and carry off the citizens assembled there, and not only these, but even the Buddha himself. That raised the already excited popular feeling almost to the point of tumult. People declared that if harm should come to the master from such villainous rubber bands at the gates of Kosambi, then the anger of the gods would surely be visited upon the whole town. Enormous crowds of people swept through the streets, and, collecting in front of the royal palace, demanded threateningly that King Udena should avert this calamity and render Angulimala incapable of further mischief. On the following day, Satagira returned. He at once overwhelmed me with praise for my good advice, for he attributed his having come safely home solely to this. Bajira, his second wife, who came out to welcome him with her little son in her arm, was dealt with very summarily. He had matters of importance to talk over with Lady Varsity. When we were alone again, to my unspeakable discomfort, he straightway began to talk of his love, of how he had missed me on the way, and with what joy he had looked forward to this hour of our reunion. I was on the point of telling him about the troubles in the town in order to change the current of his thoughts when the servants announced the Chamberlain, who had come to summon Satagira to King Udena. After about an hour he returned, another being. Pale, and with a deeply perturbed expression on his face, he came in to me, flung himself down on a low seat, and exclaimed that he was the most wretched man in the world, a fallen great one, soon to be a beggar, maybe even exposed to imprisonment or exile, and that the cause of all his misfortune was his boundless love for me, which I didn't even return. After I had repeatedly urged him to tell me what had happened, he calmed himself sufficiently to give me an account of what had taken place in the palace, accompanying the recital with many outbursts of sobbing despair and ceaselessly mopping his forehead, from which sweat drops ran trickling down. The king had received him very ungraciously, and, without desiring to hear anything of the village quarrel which he had settled, had ordered him with threats to acknowledge the whole truth about Angulimala, which Satagira was now obliged to confess to me also, without having the smallest idea that I was already so well informed on the subject. To my disgust, he saw in his deceit only a proof of his boundless love for me, and spoke of my love for you lightly as of a foolish youthful sentimentality which would, in any case, have assuredly led to nothing. The matter had come to the king's ears in the following way. During Satagira's absence, the police had succeeded in tracking down Angulimala's accomplice, who had, in the course of a severe interrogation, given the assurance that the robber in question really was Angulimala himself, that the latter had not died under torture, as the minister had always asserted, but had escaped. He had also confessed Angulimala's intended attack upon the Krishna grove. His majesty was naturally incensed to the highest degree, first at Satagira's having allowed the demonic robber to escape, and then at his having cheated the whole of Kosambi, together with its king, with the false head he had set up. He wouldn't listen to any words of defence or even of excuse. If Satagira didn't render Angulimala incapable of further mischief within three days, as the people so stormily demanded, then all the consequences of the royal displeasure would be visited upon him with the utmost rigour. After Satagira had related the whole tale, he threw himself weeping upon the seat, 
tore his hair and behaved like one distraught. Be comforted, my husband, I said. Follow my counsel, and not in three days, but before this very day is over, you shall again be in possession of the royal favour. Yes, and not only that, but it shall shine upon you even more brightly than before. Satagira sat up, and looked at me as one might gaze upon some bizarre freak of nature. And, and what then is this counsel of yours? Return to the king, and persuade him to take himself to the Singsupper wood beyond the city gates. There let him seek the Lord Buddha at the ancient temple, and ask counsel from him. The rest will follow of itself. You are a wise woman, said Satagira. In any case, your counsel is very good, for the Buddha is said to be the wisest of all men. Although it can hardly have such good results for me as you imagine, I shall nevertheless make the attempt. For the results, I replied, I shall answer with my honour. I believe you, Varsity, he exclaimed, springing up and seizing my hand. How is it possible not to believe you? By Indra, you're a wonderful woman, and I now see how little I was mistaken when, in my still inexperienced youth, as though obeying some profound instinct, I chose you alone from amid the rich garden of Kosambi's maidens, and did not allow myself to be diverted from my love by your coldness. The heat with which he poured forth his praise caused me almost to vomit, and to repent that I had given him such helpful advice, but his very next words brought relief with them, for he now spoke of his gratitude, which would be inexhaustible no matter what proof I should put it to. I have but a single petition to make, the granting of which will testify sufficiently to your gratitude. Name it to me at once, he cried, and if you should even demand that I send Vajira with her son back to her parents, I shall do so without hesitation. My request is a just, not an unjust one. I shall only proffer it, however, when my counsel has proved itself to be reliable to the fullest degree. But hurry now to the palace, and win his majesty over to pay this visit. He returned fairly soon, delighted that he had succeeded in prevailing upon the king to undertake the expedition. Not until King Udena heard that the advice came from you, and that you had vouched for its success with your honour, did he consent. For he also thinks great things of you. Oh, how proud I am of such a wife! These and similar speeches of his, of which in his confident mood there was no lack, were disgusting and painful to me, and they would have been still more painful if I had not, throughout the whole matter, had my own secret thoughts to buoy me up. We took ourselves at once to the palace, where already preparations were being made for the start. As soon as the sun's rays had softened their intensity, King Udena mounted his state elephant, the celebrated Badavatika, who was only used on the most important of occasions because she was now so very old. We, the Chamberlain, the Lord of the Treasury, and other high dignitaries came behind in carriages. Two hundred horsemen were in the vanguard, and the same number brought up the rear of the procession. At the entrance to the wood, the king caused Badavatika to kneel down, and he dismounted. The others of us left the carriages and followed in his train on foot to the Krishna temple. There the Buddha awaited us, surrounded by his disciples, as he already knew of the approaching royal visit. The king gave the master a reverential greeting, and, stepping to one side, seated himself down. When we others had also taken our seats, the Blessed One asked him, What troubles you, noble king? Has the king of Benares, or one of your other royal neighbours, threatened your land with war? The king of Benares does not threaten me, venerable sir, nor does any one of my other royal neighbours. A robber named Angulimala lives in my land. He is cruel and bloodthirsty, given to murder and violence without mercy for any living thing. He decimates villages. The towns he renders heaps of smoking ruins. The lands he turns to desert wastes. He slays people and then hangs their fingers around his neck. 
and in the wickedness of his heart he has conceived a plan of falling upon this sacred grove and of carrying you off, Master, you and your disciples. My people murmur openly at the thought of this great danger. They throng in great crowds around my palace and demand that I should make Angulimala incapable of further mischief. It is this grave concern alone that I have in mind in coming to see you, Lord. But if you, great king, should see Angulimala with hair and beard shaven, clad in the robes of this Sangha, and forswearing the act of murder, no longer a robber, content with one meal a day, modest in his behaviour, virtuous and altogether noble, what would you then do with him? We would greet him respectfully, venerable sir, rise in his presence, and invite him to be seated. We would beg him to accept robes, food, lodging, and medicine for possible sickness, and would bestow upon him protection, shelter, and defence. But, Lord, how could such an unruly and malignant wretch experience such a change towards virtue? Now, the dread Angulimala was sitting not far from the master, and the master extended his right arm and pointed over to him, saying to King Odena as he did so, Great King, this is Angulimala. At that the face of the king grew pale from fear, but greater by far was the horror on the face of Satagira. His eyes looked as though they would start from their sockets, his hair stood on end, and cold sweat dropped from his forehead. Oh no, he called out, that is Angulimala, and I, idiot that I am, have betrayed my king into putting himself into his power. At the same time I could see plainly that he only quivered with fear because he imagined he himself to be in the power of his deadly enemy. This demonic villain, he went on, has deceived us all. He has cheated the master himself and also my all-too-credulous wife, who, like all women, lays too much store by such tales of conversion. We have all walked into the trap. And his glances jerked hither and thither, as though he could discern half a dozen robbers behind every tree. With stuttering voice and trembling hand, he begged the king to seek safety for his precious person by fleeing immediately. Then I stepped forward and spoke. Calm yourself, husband and restrain your cowardice. I am in a position to convince you, and also my noble sovereign, that no trap has been laid here, and that no danger threatens. And I now related how, persuaded by Angulimala, I had, together with him, planned an attack on the life of my husband, and how our plan was frustrated by the transformation of my ally to the good. When Satagira heard how near he had been to death, he was obliged to support himself on the arm of the chamberlain, in order not to sink to the ground. I now prostrated myself before the king and begged him to pardon my husband as I had pardoned him, saying that led away by passion he had acted foolishly and yet in the whole matter had assuredly, although quite unconsciously, followed the leading of a higher power that intended to bring to pass before our eyes this greatest of all wonders, so that now, instead of a robber having to be executed, the robber had committed himself to the religious life and when the king had graciously consented to bestow his undiminished favour again upon my husband, I said to Satagira, I have kept my promise. Now you must keep yours also and fulfill my request, which is that I may be permitted to enter the sacred order of the Buddha. With a mute inclination of the head, Satagira gave his consent. He had, of course, by now, no other option. But the king, who was by now quite reassured, approached Angulimala, spoke kindly and deferentially to him, and gave him the assurance of his royal protection. Then he went again to the Buddha, bowed low before him, and said, Wondrous it is indeed, venerable sir, how you, the Tathagata, tame the untamable. For this Angulimala, whom we could not overcome by either punishment or sword, him you have overcome without either punishment or sword. 
And this thrice sacred grove, where such a wonderful thing has transpired, shall, to the end of time, belong to the Sangha of the Blessed One. Furthermore, I trust the Master will graciously allow me to erect within its bounds buildings for the shelter of the monks and others for that of the nuns. Signifying his acceptance with silence, the Master received the royal gift. The king then took his leave and went away with his retinue. I, however, remained behind under the protection of the sisters who were present, and, the very next day, I shaved my head and became a bhikkhuni, a member of the Order of Buddhist Nuns.